AOC Community Media presents Mind on Media. Hello, everyone. I'm Christy, the Education Coordinator, and I'm here with the rest of the AOC gang. Uh, follow along with us today as we break down our own critical analysis of an online news article. If you spend any bit of your day siphoning through news articles on the internet, or if you get your news straight from your social media feeds, our analysis can help you start to think a little bit more critically about the content that you see. We are walking you through our critical thought processes and how we judge the credibility of an online news article. So um, the news article that we're using is produced by Fox Media, and it is about the coronavirus and how the spread of it sort of happened and what information, new information has uh, come forth about it. So without further ado, we'll get the conversation started. Um, Just in reading this article, how did you guys begin to sort of dissect it and judge whether or not it was a highly credible article or not so highly credible? Uh, I, I'll jump in because I, I will say I read Christie's notes uh, and I was a little bit mad because Christie stole my point that I was going to make, which was the about section of a website is a great place to check. So I'm not going to talk anymore about that, Christie, because I know that's your point and I'm going to leave that to you. Uh, but uh, I was going to say my next sort of go to after the about section is always sources. I always do a quick scan of sources cited in the article, and that gives me a pretty good idea of whether I'm getting credible information or something that I can go to court with. If it's an anonymous source, then, uh, you know, you kind of take it with a grain of salt. It's something that has to be done these days to maintain access. But uh, citing sources and then the sort of background you can find about sources is one of my go-tos. And some sources in this were, you know, scientists in the field of epidemiology, the WHO, um, those sorts of information. So that gave me an idea that it was probably some credible information I was getting. I totally agree with you, Matt. And I think I could speak for like our entire team when um, when you said that usually when we do run into an online article, the first thing that we look at is the source and where it came from. And um, usually if it's a source we're familiar with, we can already start to establish that credibility in our head. You know, if it is something we're familiar with, um, but particularly with this article through Vox, um, I was not familiar with this actual organization or the content they produce. So yeah, the first thing that I did was I went to their About Us page, which um, is just a good practice in general to kind of dig around and see what information you could find about the integrity of that, um, of the organization or Google search as well. And I did run into sort of who created the content, who even were listed as the the head journalist. And you could even take them and Google them and find out their history and their reputation as journalists. So um, I was pleased to to see that. And they also have on their website, they have a page that's dedicated to the editorial ethics and guidelines, which was refreshing to see that as well. So overall, I think uh, some of these things really strengthen the credibility of, of that source overall for me. I'm going to jump right in and say that while you're both 100% correct, uh, both of the things you say are almost com- almost 100% inapplicable in the day-to-day life of a news consumer. Uh, people who go back to sites repeatedly should absolutely check out 
the background on their sites and that kind of thing. But to, to, uh, for a casual consumer to check out the background on a site is very rare. And to check out the sources in an article is even more rare. Uh, it's what we have to have people learn how to do is to do what we're telling them. These, and these things are accurate and they're correct. But how does a person actually in this day, in this world, when half the news they consume, they're doing it while they're driving, uh, how do they do that? Uh, how do they apply? Uh, it's common sense to say if the, the, somebody's telling you the moon is made of Swiss cheese, you probably don't have to look that up. But if you're driving and somebody says, well, seven people were killed in the White House yesterday, you got to decide. White House, Capitol, seven. I've heard Capitol, not White House, and I heard four, not seven. Who do I look? How, how does a consumer get smarter? Bethany, I say you got to look on your faces. Well, well, I agree. But I, I think that the time has passed for us to say uh, we, we expect the consumer to do a gut check because there is just so much disillusionment out there. You just look what happened yesterday. These people were so in their hearts right about, um, you know, fake news, basically. And so you can't expect people to do a gut check and, and, and think that holds up over time. We have to, we have to find a way. I, I go through two different websites. If I see one here, I'll go to the other one and say, okay, has this been backed up? If it hasn't, then it's probably fake. You know, you have, you have to find a way to, to quickly, and you can do it. We all carry around a little computer. You know, quickly look it up and see. If you're hearing it just from one source, find another source. If you can't find another source, then, then discard it. That was another thing I was going to suggest, too, is that – uh, I think it's it's like you know when it, when it comes to media literacy and and to me it's more about what is it seems that more and more people are uncomfortable with trusting any news sources or like finding out how they can trust news sources. So my advice would be if anybody's giving the complaint that they don't feel like they can trust anything they hear or you know what their news sources are, maybe assess you know and I realize this takes a little effort on your part, but assess the way you're ingesting news. I, for instance, I ingest very little broadcast news. Uh, I ingest mostly print news, and part of that is because when I'm going to news, I'm I'm actively participating, and I want to actually get some information. So I don't listen to broadcast news because it's a lot of noise in there. There's a lot of entertainment that's part of it. There's a lot of analysts that's uh, analysis that's part of it, um, and print news tends to be more straightforward and I can more quickly assess whether I'm going to actually pull information from that source or not. Just to jump in here too, on something Bethany said, uh, we, we all know what an echo chamber is and how easy it is to fall into the trap of an echo chamber. But what a lot of people don't realize is that because we consume so much of our media online and online services tailor themselves to the user there's now what's called a filter bubble. And it means that you are not getting news that's outside of your prescribed filters unless you're actively doing that. So a lot of times when I'm searching sources, um, and if Matt's mad at Christy for taking her point, I'm mad at Matt for taking mine because sources is a big, I even went and read the like secondary Clarkson university article. Uh, but it's important when you're searching sources or looking that kind of stuff up to do it in like an incognito tab where your filters are completely shut off. It's going to give you everything it can find with regards to those search terms and not try and and profile you and filter that content to what you've searched for in the past. That's a good point. Just turning turning off our own algorithms, you know, um, 
I, I sometimes find myself uh, grabbing my husband's cell phone and saying, okay, let me see what your Twitter looks like because it's completely different. Right, yeah, because he's got a, a whole different personalized experience. Well, every that's a, a significant point of why we're having trouble getting cohesion is every single person's message is individually algorithmically determined for them. And we can sit side by side and log in as all nine of us from one one uh, through one IP, be nine different computers and see nine different searches if we search for something that's anywhere in our history, which includes almost everything. That kind of fracturing is really hard to uh, it's hard to measure that kind of impact that we don't all hear the same message, even when we hear the same message. It comes pre-filtered and pre-filtered at a level that's way more intimate than most of us realize. They are way up inside our heads. The filters are on and they've, they've curated everything you think you know. Even if you search outside your bubble, you're gonna be predisposed by the hidden things in your brain to consume what affirms the bubble, what the bubble told you. Uh, and most people and the people who vote and the people who stole the capital are not news consumers to the degree this the, the bunch of us are. They take that first lizard brain input they get, and that lizard brain responds with usually with the dread or defense. Well, that doesn't hurt. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I was just gonna. Ed reminded me of of a point that uh, that I try and keep in mind when I'm listening. Something that always makes my antenna go up is when somebody puts their put some sort of intention into someone else's mouth or head, right? So like, and and the way I'm thinking of it is when, when I hear a politician say what the media is trying to do, or like they'll say something to it. When a journalist asks them a question, they'll say, you didn't have a good intention in your heart when you asked that question. It just makes me wary. It doesn't make me say that they're wrong about that judgment call or about that assessment. But when people are putting thoughts into other people's heads, it's something everybody has the tendency to do. But it's also like one of our worst habits as human beings, because it's almost never true that what you think is in their head is in their head. Um, so it makes it easier, I think, to communicate with people if if you try and realize that you have that bias and try and quell that a little i'm gonna say yeah like it, it doesn't hurt to be at least like sort of aware of some logical fallacies and confirmation bias is one of those those things that you have to be aware of is this something i want to hear or is this something that needs to be said and that i should listen to because uh, it's really easy to fall into and and just being aware when when people are making points of straw man arguments or uh, ad hominem attacks, just like, those logical fallacies are are good to be aware of. And I agree. And I think that um, even a lot of these concepts that you're speaking about, like confirmation bias and the, and the filter bubble, things like that could be um, episodes all standalone episodes on their own because they can go really deep in conversation. So I'm glad you guys uh, brought these up. You were uh, going to speak, Busy. And I was just going to say uh, uh, people's attention is a commodity. Uh, so once you realize how important people will or like companies, or organizations, the, the lengths they will go to to try to to get your attention or to take it from you. Uh, don't give them either. If you, if you are if you like what you're looking at, then go for it. Give your attention away to whoever. But uh, just always, you know, 
for me, I always try to remember that, like my attention is worth something. It's worth a lot. It's it's worth the most. Uh, so if I can do what I can to keep it to myself or just make it important to like, you know, just to reassure myself, I know that it's important uh, and not to waste it as much as I do waste it already. But, uh, you know, things to that I think about as, as far as ingesting things. Well, and that's the weird thing, Boos, about our current media model, right, is that our attention is definitely worth something. That's definitely the product of social media sites. But you or I will never get paid for that. I mean, I guess we we kind of get paid for it in in that when we go to work, if we we need to pay attention to what we're doing at our work. Uh, but Facebook, all the social media sites, they sell your eyeballs. That's their product is is your eyeballs. I'm gonna make. Uh, I'm gonna propose that the fact that we are the commodity. Uh, is a given and there's virtually nothing we can do to benefit from directly from the fact that we're the commodity except extract free use of the tools. You, you cannot avoid it. The idea of manipulating your algorithms is a lot of fun and you might skew Facebook to show you slightly different things. But if you don't reinforce that when you're on the phone, the magazines you subscribe to, the products you buy at the store, the thing to do is to figure out how to copy in and use the tools that they've given you in your own defense. And that goes back and, and maybe as a sort of a little bit of a wrap up, you got to be aware of the source. You got to be aware of the, the viability of the sources. Sources unnamed means unverified, no matter who says it to you. If it's unnamed, it's unverified. Uh, I'm appreciative of where everyone's coming from. I mean, the main thing that I would have added, but I didn't want to step on anyone else's time was that besides those uh, so-called algorithmic bubbles that we're all in, there's also the bubble of the, the choice of search engine. And Google, for instance, will completely silence certain sources, whether you search for the correct search terms or not. So that's an added layer of ignorance that we all have, uh, where, you know, for instance, the World Socialist website you're just not going to get search results from them. And so uh, there are lots of different sources, some that you maybe don't want information from, others that you might be interested in, that by nature of the site that you're going to search for information on, you're not going to see. So that's another thing to be aware of. <clears throat> that's all part of that filter system. I, I did want to Another another thing happened uh, of great import this year. Um, the World Health Organization um, has coined the term infodemic because they've realized that we have a sickness when it comes to consuming information. And they are actually taking um, huge studies in parts of trying trying to quell this, you know, different kind of pandemic that they're fighting. It's really uh, uh, they have a, whole, a huge section about it if you want to look up to it. Hey, uh, I did. I was looking up some stuff this morning and I came across something that I thought of Ed particularly would like this. Um, this acronym is CRAP, uh, C-R-A-P, and it is an acronym to, to ass assess your media source. So is it current? Is it reliable? Who is the authority? And what is the purpose or POV? CRAP. Uh, and that is a media analysis tool. I love it. Interesting perspective shared by everyone. I think, um, you know, the topics that we discussed will definitely help people um, think a little bit more critically about the content that they're consuming and um, just increasing the dialogue to fight the great infodemic. 
So um, thank you to all of our viewers watching. We appreciate you. You can find more content for all things media production and media literacy on our website at www.aocinc.org. And we hope that you join us again for the next episode. Goodbye for now. Mind on Media is a presentation of AOC Community Media. Our producer is Christy Tracy. Contributors include Mandy Ayo, Ed Bowie, Joe Ferguson, Bethany Ivey, William McFarlane, Matt Roberts, Skip Shannon, and Jacob White. For more information about media literacy and more, visit AOCINC.org. While you're there, become a member and a media creator. Click the Join button and join our community of producers. Check out our YouTube channel, AOC Community Media, for tutorials and videos from our community producers. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for AOC Community Media.